Well, good morning, church. Happy Sunday. Good to be with you this morning for worship. In fact, why don't you, uh, would you please turn to a person nearby you, look them square in the eyes. You can do this. Look them square in the eyes, flash a smile, and say, I'm so glad you're here today. Yes. Very good. If, if Bill Vanek, one of our members, were with us today, he would say, how good it is for you to see me today, is what he would say. <laughs> As we gather for worship this morning, please receive these words of welcome from the book that we love, Grace and Peace to You, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ and the Fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Today is the fourth Sunday of Eastertide, a time in which we are celebrating the real the historical, the everlasting resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's a mystery that is knowable, touchable, and tasteable. Jesus really is the world's greatest rupture and repair event, and we get to experience it and share it in this world. And so we join with the psalmist who says, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Happy are those who take refuge in him. Today we get to be those very people with all praise to God. So let's stand and sing together.
would you join me in a prayer of gratitude to our Lord? Pray with me. Oh, living Lord, on the first Easter day, you stood in the midst of your disciples as the conqueror of sin and death, and you spoke your peace to them. Come to us, we pray, this Easter tide in your risen power. Make us glad with your presence. Unite us as one body, believing you, and breathe your Holy Spirit into our hearts afresh, that we may be strong to serve you and spread abroad your good news. For the glory of your great name. Amen. Today we have the great joy of welcoming into our fellowship some new members. Welcomed into Fellowship Church. And if you're one of those people, please begin to make your way up here on stage. That would be wonderful. You saw these folks uh, last week at our congregational meeting, perhaps. And there we acknowledge the goodness of God that even in a world... North America that's becoming increasingly post-Christian, where church is less and less cool, we get to bless God for folks who are joining our midst and saying yes to membership and mission here at Fellowship Church. We joined with the psalmist who said, Psalm 115, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name, be the glory for, because of God's great love and faithfulness. This group not all of them are right here in front of us. There's more. There's a group of a total of 25, and these folks have endured with joy, of course, our Discover Fellowship class, cafe. Uh, they've shared their stories before our elders. They have been approved by our consistory, and now they are here to join in membership this morning. Today's group includes business leaders and yoga instructors and someone who speaks Greek this group includes a superintendent, a recreational therapist, a nurse who helps with the most difficult baby deliveries, a veteran Kids Hope director, someone who wired up the electricity in this sanctuary some seven-ish years ago. We have people who have loved the Christian church, Catholic, Methodist, Presbyterian. We have people who have been hurt by the church, and we even have a first-time public profession of faith today. So thanks be to God. Without further ado, we'll let them introduce themselves to you, the congregation here. So I invite you to say your names and also to include uh, maybe a word of why church, why membership, why fellowship. Not all three of those, but one of those. Hey, my name's Tom Terry. Lynn Bunnell is my wife. We've been married uh, almost 17 years. We got married on the beach of Lake Michigan, just north of Montague. So we love West Michigan. When I transitioned out of a pastoral ministry in Indiana a little over a year ago, we thought, well, where do we want to move? And we thought, well, West Michigan, of course. And uh, the Lord in his sovereignty had uh, Holland in mind for us. Uh, why fellowship? Well, we, uh, we visited here. Uh, and the first Sunday, we heard uh, Nate preach. And we want a church that... <laughs> We want a church that takes the Bible seriously and yet presents the teaching of the Bible in a relevant and sometimes humorous way. And Nate certainly does that. We value women in leadership in a church. So the next Sunday we were here, we heard Tierra preach and uh, we affirm this church in, uh, in valuing and elevating women to an equal footing with men. Uh, but then, then what clinched the deal? was uh, <laughs> was on was on Easter when when we sang in the choir we sang in the choir and uh, met so many wonderful people and Jess just such, does a great job of the music and we we value uh, music that brings us into God's presence and this church certainly does that and then I'll let Lynn share something that really sealed the deal for her. Yes, what really sealed the deal was the fact that you have three pastors, so I love that, but that this guy here wore his yellow pants on Easter. <laughs> I thought, any pastor that can wear yellow pants, you know, I mean, because uh, Tom wouldn't be caught dead in them, would you? No. Okay. That's great. Thank you, guys. That's awesome. Oh, well said. Uh, Cal and Beth DeKuyper and... Uh, you know, it's probably the last couple of years you get away from attending in person. And then uh, we moved to what I've learned is called the north side here. 
And uh, <laughs> we attended uh, at the encouragement of Mary Osink, one of your members who's passed on. Mm -hmm. And uh, Steve Bronius invited uh, me to a cup of coffee, and, and we've been here ever since. Uh, we look forward to Sunday mornings in person in uh, just a welcoming place, so thank you. Thank you. Hi, we're the Devaney's, Mike and Amy, and we have a daughter, Ava, who's not here with us this morning. Um, we have always felt that fellowship has embodied its name very well, and so that's why we chose it. Thanks. Hello, I'm Doug Hayden, and this is my wife, Mary Ann. And um, we were drawn to fellowship by a number of things. One was the shared leadership model here. Um, and the excellent preaching from all three that we just really enjoy the variety of that and so on. The variety of the music, the contemporary, the traditional, um, and the welcoming congregation. And we have just felt um, at home here since we first arrived. Thank you. Thank you. <clears throat> I'm Liesl. This is my husband, Aaron. And we moved from Chicago two years ago, almost the day. When we were looking for churches, we sat down together and we wrote out the top three most important things we were looking for. We were looking for a place that was multi-generational and really valued children. We were looking for a place that put women in positions of leadership. And we wanted a place that had a combination of contemporary and more traditional music. And we found that and so much more here. Now we're a part of the young adults group and we've made really excellent friends. And we're just so thankful to be here. Super, very good. I'm going to add a few because there's a few on the photos that aren't with us this service this morning. And so on the screen behind there, you're going to see also Dan and Nancy Laurie there. And we're super glad for them to join with us. Nancy is coming from a Presbyterian background and has a lot of familiarity with the way things we do, the way we do things around here at Fellowship. Dan is coming from a Catholic background. And uh, he, he was on the fence because he, he says, I got a lot of Catholic guilt. And we said in our class together, it's like, oh, we do guilt pretty well in the Reformed tradition as well. So <laughs> they're glad to be with us in, uh, in fellowship. Hopefully you'll be able to meet them uh, in weeks to come. Doug and Deb Smith are the next ones up there on the screen. And they are new to Holland. In fact, they decided to come here to retire here, having never been to Holland before. So how cool is that? They decided to join here, and they bring a little bit of a counter-narrative. They said, hey, it's been great and easy to break in, and we found people to be wonderfully welcoming here and very glad to be in Holland, Michigan with us. They're enjoying lake life somewhere else right now, so they're not uh, here this Sunday morning. And then we have right behind me, I'm standing in the way, Dustin and Colton and Penelope. And uh, uh, Dustin doesn't enjoy speaking in front of people, so he asked me to, the number one fear in the world, speaking in publicly, and so you are not alone, and so I'm happy to speak on your behalf. We're really glad to have them in our midst. Dustin works at uh, Gentex in the HVAC. He uh, manages that. Uh, these two are soon to be baptized in our midst, so we thank God for that, uh, and we're excited for you guys to be in our midst. And then the one that would be in that space there, they will be in the second service. You'll understand why they're not doing the double-duty services this morning when you see the picture. <clears throat> Family 09, which is awesome. So Jacob and Kristen and Luke and Ella, Colin, Owen, Parker, Ashley, and Madison Woodwike uh, are, are joining. And I think they do become our single largest nuclear family when they join with us. They're super great. Uh, Jacob is the one who wired this sanctuary, the electricity, uh, you know, years ago before ever considering being membership in membership here. And so uh, great, great family. We hope that you get the chance to chat with them as well. All right, Pastor Tierra, we have some questions. Yeah, so we ask all of our new members to profess their um, intentions for membership um, and in doing so to profess the faith and the love that they have for Christ, uh, the love that they have for God's people, uh, that's you, um, and also the love and their commitment to God's mission both locally and globally. So there's about five questions that will be up on the screen and you'll be able to answer um, uh, based on the answers that you already have written in your hearts, but they'll be up on the screen too, just in case. So, uh, so first, do you believe in one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? And do you confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? If you do, say, I do. Thanks be to God. Uh, and do you renounce sin and the power of evil in your life and in the world? 
And do you accept the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments as the only rule for life and for faith? And will you be faithful members of this congregation and through worship and service seek to advance God's purposes both here and throughout the world? And lastly, do you promise to accept the spiritual guidance of the church to walk in a spirit of Christian love with this congregation and to seek those things that make for unity, purity, and peace? Awesome. Uh, Congregation, I'm going to invite you to stand as well. Um, As these new members join this church, Fellowship Reformed Church, um, we will ask you to join your voices together in promising to link hearts and arms uh, with them um, as they become new members up here. So would you join me in the words that are up on the screen? Um, We promise to love, encourage, and support these brothers and sisters by extending God's love by being an example of Christian faith and character, and by giving the strong support of God's family in fellowship, prayer, and service. Welcome to the family, dear friend. Awesome. Sorry. (laughs) Pray together. Uh, Blessed are you, O Lord our God, for this glad day and for these, our newest friends. Thank you for all that you've made them to be by nature and by grace, and thank you for drawing them with your loving kindness into Fellowship Church. We rejoice together in the promise of salvation in Jesus' name, and we ask that you would please bind us together by your Holy Spirit so that we really can be salt and light in this, your beautiful but broken world. We pray these things in the strong and precious name of Jesus. Amen. Hang in there standing one more time. I got a charge for our newest members up here, okay? A charge in the words of Ephesians chapter 4, which is to lead a life worthy of the calling which you have been called. And in a fellowshipy way, we add to that. We invite you to take God seriously, but not take yourselves too seriously. To be peacemakers who sow in peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. To double the joy that is in this world by sharing Christ with others and to be a people known by the way that you love one another. Let it be so, in Jesus' name. Would you join in welcoming these folks, our newest members? As they return to their seats, we're going to join our voices together and sing of our common faith in the words of the Apostles' Creed. Yeah. 
is the good news. The grave is empty. Christ is risen. Hallelujah. (laughs) Also, he is risen indeed. You guys are amazing. (laughs) This is the good news. Yes, we did that. The next slide. There we go. This is the good news. Once we were no people, now we are God's people. Yeah. This is... <laughs> I screwed up. Christ is our peace, the indestructible peace we now share with each other. Friends, it is because of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection that we have peace with God and with one another. The peace of Christ be with you. I invite you to share a sign of that peace with your neighbor. Well, thanks be to God that grace abounds, right? We all need it, myself included. Uh, good morning, friends. The Lord be with you. My name is Ross Dielman, one of the pastors here at Fellowship Church, where together our mission is to love God and others as an accepting community centered in Christ and focused on developing faithful followers of Jesus. If you are newish around here, kind of like our new members, and would like to get more connected in, we have connection cards available online and in person. If you'd like to make yourself known, please do so with that. I also remind you that not only do we connect, but we care for one another. And so you'll see regularly in our bulletin a list of care concerns. And you're invited, of course, to lift those folks up in prayer and write cards and do other things that loving communities do uh, with one another. Next week's Sunday is what we call a table-to-table Sunday. What we mean by that is we will gather at the Lord's table, the communion table, in our worship services And then we'll also gather at the tables out there to share some food together. This one is one of the special ones that's between services. So it's your favorite. First service folks get to go straight to it. Cinnamon rolls, quiche, and fresh fruit. Immediately after this service will be available. So plan on some snacks and stick around and enjoy some good company next week, Sunday, together. We're also celebrating that last week Sunday was a really full day in which we had our congregational meeting. And if you missed it, we had five major things that we kind of cruised through. One of them was celebrating new values that we're, cel- that we're naming in our midst, that we want to be a place where we are real, where we are unifying, where we are inviting, and where we are equipping. We named those together. We celebrated and told some stories of our year past, the life that we've had together. We affirmed new leadership in our congregation called our consistory, new people stepping into elder and deacon roles. We named some strategic goals and oikers, which is a fellowshipy way of naming some ministry priorities. Uh, and a lot of good work has gone into that. And we're excited about what's upcoming. And then finally, we committed together to a new ministry spending plan, otherwise known as a budget, uh, which is a wonderful thing as well because we get to partake in doing those good things together here and far beyond. And on the subject of giving, and even as we've recently approved a kind of huge budget, if you really think about it, I want to remind you of the Bible story of the boy who gave his lunch to Jesus. Of course, it wasn't enough. But he gave what he had, and God took that and multiplied it and fed the multitudes. So also, when Jesus affirmed the widow's might, she gave just a little. It wasn't a great amount, but it was her great generosity that made the difference and was a tremendous blessing. One of the great joys of giving is that we get to partake in God's work in the world when we give. And so you can do so in person in the bowls that are in the sanctuary or online and in other ways. And you're happy to talk to any one of us if you'd like to figure out how to do that for a first time. At this time, kids, you are dismissed up to age fifth grade. Uh, That's not an age. It's a grade, but you know what I mean. Uh, And then we will continue in worship through song. Would you stand and let's sing together?
how cool was the music this morning? Let's give it up for Jess and the team. What a day. Uh, thank you, worship band and orchestra and even the organ. Come on. It can't get any better than that. This morning we are continuing our series entitled Afterglow. And I can't help but resist the temptation to sing some classic rock ballad because every time I hear Afterglow, I think that this must be like a concert series title that we can't wait to go to. It's like, uh, let's go to the palace, man, for the 1978 Afterglow tour that Boston's playing. It's going to be awesome. But Afterglow is not the encore tour of a washed-up 70s band. It is also not a Nintendo Switch controller or even Taylor Swift's famous song, Afterglow. The Afterglow we are talking about is the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the light of the world, the light that is, was first seen by the disciples and the apostles and whose light continues to shine brightly today in our world. His life, our mission. His rupture and repair, our rupture and repair. And in a real basic way, throughout this series, we're asking the question, what does the resurrection mean for us today? To do that, we're looking at various resurrection accounts from Scripture. We started in Matthew, and we've, we're working it through other portions of Scripture. Pastor Ross kicked us off with the resurrection news is controversial. Some people accepted the news, and other people tried to uh, squash, squash it. Last, last week, Christian, uh, our mission partner, church planner in the Netherlands, shared with us that resurrection news is missional. It's meant to be taught, embodied, shared with others, and it's an invitation for us to go towards. Well, this morning, we are going to be considering that resurrection news is eerie. It's hard to believe, but it's also an invitation for us to go Godwards. You know about the five G's, maybe. We've been trying to introduce them to you, and they're from uh, 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 the Wayfinder, the Colossian Forum, and we've talked about going towards last week, and this week we're going to consider what it means to go Godwards. But what makes the resurrection eerie? Well, for that, we're going to turn to Mark chapter 16, verses 9 through 20. But before we do that, let's pray together. God, settle our hearts so that our ears might hear, our hearts might receive, and our lives might be transformed more and more into your likeness, more and more into your image, so that more and more people might know your love and grace that we know in Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Mark 16. Now, after he arose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. She went out and told those who had been with him while they were mourning and weeping. But when they heard that he was alive and had, see, and had been seen by her, they would not believe it. After this, he appeared in another form to two of them as they were walking into the country. And they went back and told the rest of the disciples, but they did not believe them. Later, he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were sitting at the table, and he upbraided them. He rebuked them for their lack of faith and stubbornness, because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. And he said to them, Go into all the world and proclaim the good news to the whole creation. The one who believes and is baptized will be saved, but the one who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. By using my name, they will cast out demons, they will speak in new tongues, they will pick up snakes, and if they eat, drink any deadly thing, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick, and they will recover. So then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up to heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and proclaimed the good news everywhere, while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by the signs that accompanied it. This is the word of the Lord. So what makes something eerie? 
Well, I did what we do when we have a question, and I went to, to the Google, and I searched the interwebs for what makes something eerie. And this is what the interwebs gave me. The first thing was a Vantablack. Do you know about this material? It is the darkest substance in the world. It's supposedly made by scientists to be uh, out of carbon. It is said to absorb 99.98% of the light it, it sees. So if you were to see this material in real life, it would be the equivalent of seeing nothing. Your eyes would be tricked. It's the closest thing that we have to looking into a black hole. Weird. Strange, isn't it? Or how about this? A blue angel sea slug. This creepy alien little slug lives off the coast of uh, South Africa and Australia. What's bizarre or creepy is, yes, of course, its looks, but also even more creepy, this slug leeches onto its prey and actually sucks the venom out of things like the man o' war and puts it in these little sacks, and the sacks concentrate the poison so that the next time it gets on something else, it's a carnivore, and it eats living things, living creatures, and it uses that concentrated poison to destroy its venom or destroy its uh, prey. Yikes. A little scary, you might say. Or how about this weird-looking stuff? Aerogel, supposedly also known as frozen smoke or uh, an ice cloud or a solid cloud. It's made by mixing chemicals, scientists have done this, and into a gel, and then they suck all the moisture out of it, and it is equivalent of a solid gas. Weird. Strange. Or how about this? The humongous fungus, also known as whatever that says, a big enormous mushroom. It's said to be the largest living creature in the world. It covers some 2,385 acres in a national forest near you in Oregon. Bob Warfel might think he's pretty uh, funny with all his puns, but he's no match for this fun guy. It's just right there. You can't take it, you know? <laughs> Or how about this weird-looking microorganism? It's said to be able to withstand negative 328 degrees Fahrenheit all the way up to 300 degrees Fahrenheit. It could still live through all of that. You could find it in the deepest depths of the sea all the way out to outer space. It's said to be able to survive. It's even said to be able to survive a supernova. What? Strange. Or how about the most eerie of all, in my opinion, brace yourselves, for the goblin shark. This prehistoric thing that lives in the deepest recesses of the ocean, uh, it, it, the picture says it all, doesn't it? It is eerie by very definition of its looks. But what's even more eerie is that because it lives in those darkest places in the world, it actually finds its prey by sensing the electrical currents that they put off. Eerie. These are, of course, examples of eerie things from nature, both ancient biological phenomenon and things that scientists have made. But what makes something eerie? Why would you consider these things eerie? Why do we call them that? Well, I think it's a combination of two things. It's something strange, out of the box, not ordinary, something we're probably not familiar with, and something scary. Not sure if we want to get close to it. Fearful of what it might do. And that way you might say chatbox GPT or AI is a little eerie. But is the resurrection eerie? Is the story strange for those of us who come year after year and experience the joy of an Easter Sunday morning as Tom and, Terry, or Tom and Lynn pointed out just a few minutes ago? Is the resurrection scary? Is Jesus' resurrection body, resurrected body like that goblin shark? No way. But for the first disciples, for those first two Marys who ran out of the tomb, for the disciples on their road to Emmaus, for all who watched Jesus be crucified on the cross, I'd have to think that the resurrection of Jesus Christ would be at least a little bit eerie. A little bit strange and scary, wouldn't it? 
I mean, it's pretty uncommon that you see someone that's been resurrected from the dead. Yes, they saw Lazarus, but eventually he would die again. Jesus resurrected and ascended alive and is still living yet today. He is the only person. Of course, it's strange. No one has ever been resurrected from the dead in that way. It's also a bit scary, wouldn't you say? I mean, the angels, the first time they encountered the disciples after Jesus was resurrected, said, do not be afraid. It's scary to think of someone who has been raised from the dead. Hollywood makes millions on movies and storylines about people being raised to the dead, from the dead in their ghosts and all the goblins that they have in there. But the resurrection for the first disciples was eerie. It was strange, scary. Could this have really happened to Jesus? Could this have really happened to our master? Is this really what, what the guy said that he was going to do? Is that really what happened? What does this mean for us? What does this mean for Jesus? And I think in particular, Mark's gospel account of the resurrection is eerie in three unique ways. And I think each of these ways is an invitation for us to go Godward. What do I mean? Well, the first thing that's eerie uh, is something that we have to name that, that, that I don't think we should ignore is that there is much debate about whether or not Mark's version of the resurrection, the one that we just read, actually belongs in the Bible or not. It's an odd thing to consider. Did you notice the heading of your Bible if you were following along in the Bibles and the chairs? If you didn't, I got a picture of it right here. The NRSV says this is the longer ending of Mark. And then it's, the whole passage is put in brackets. Other translations make it even more explicit. The English Standard Version says some of the earliest manuscripts do not include Mark 16, verses 9 through 20. The NRSV, or the NIV, which is a very common translation, takes it one step farther in saying the earliest manuscripts and other witnesses do not have Mark chapter 16, verse 9 through 20 in them. It's a little eerie for some of us to think that there's questions about, about whether or not this passage from Scripture actually even belongs in the Bible. That's kind of strange, I would say. There's only one other passage in the New Testament that has this much controversy, and that's John, uh, John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. But there are countless variations in the manuscripts. It's why we have translations with such variance in, in how we read them, with the NRV, the NIV, the ESV, the message. All of these are based on Greek manuscripts. And these manuscripts from the Greek were handwritten for the first 1,500 years of Christianity. And people would sometimes add notes, sometimes people would take things out, and sometimes people would put things in. There would even be misspellings in some of these manuscripts. It's kind of strange and maybe a little bit scary to think about the Word of God with this much variance, this much uh, difference in each of the versions, isn't it? Well, why is there so much debate about whether the, the Bible includes this passage or not? Well, there's good evidence that this part is written, that was written in Mark chapter 16, verses 9 through 20, was actually not even written by Mark. It reads differently. Why did they reintroduce Mary? If you look at verse 1 and verse 9, why did the grammar change from the subject being Mary and uh, the other Mary to Jesus being the subject in verses 9 through 20? There's no reunion of the disciples. It, it, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't flow with the first eight, chapter, eight verses of Mark chapter 16. And there's numerous Greek manuscripts that don't even have this part of Scripture in them. So why is it in our Bibles today? Why do we have it in the NRSV that we just read this morning? Well, many agree that while Mark is not the author of these verses, some would say it's still useful for the teaching and building up of the church. Or as Timothy would say in his epistle, it is God-breathed and useful for teaching and rebuking. I mean, consider the Gospel of Mark without these verses. It would end with verse 8, with Mary and the other Mary running from the tomb right after an angel says, Fear not, Jesus has been risen from the dead. Mark would not have an encounter with the risen Jesus. 
The Gospel of Mark would have no reunion with his disciples. The Gospel of Mark would have no ascension of Jesus into heaven. It would be like the ultimate cliffhanger if it ended at verse 8. Like the, every episode of the TV series or 24 with the, the, the ticking clock. Tick, tick, tick. Will they make it to Galilee? Tick, tick, tick. Was Jesus really risen from the dead? Tick, tick, tick. Will the disciples believe the news? Tick, tick, tick. So, translators, scholars, Christians, with the help of the Holy Spirit, being attuned to the Spirit, decided that this section of Scripture would, in fact, be beneficial for God's people in the Bible, even if Mark didn't write it. Which is all to say... The resurrection account in Mark chapter 16, verses 9 through 20, is a, is a little eerie. It's kind of strange and scary that it was added in. But it's also an invitation for us to go Godward. Translators deem this passage worthy. Why? Because it was useful for training in righteousness, for growing in faithfulness. Which I think serves as an invitation for us to reflect on the primary sources of our life with the Holy Spirit's help. What stories, what media, what news, what people in your life do you listen to? How do you consume that information? And how does what you're consuming help you grow in your faith? Might a part of, being going, of going Godward, being taking stock, in the information, the truths that we consume? The second reason that the Gospel of Mark is eerie and how it shares the story of the resurrection is that it, the challenge of belief is even there for the disciples. Did you notice the trice repeated refrain that I put uh, bolded in the, in the verses behind me? They did not believe. It's strange that the initial response of the disciples, the people that knew Jesus best, the people that knew that Jesus predicted that this was going to happen, were the same people that didn't believe Jesus at first. Verse 11, they did not believe when Mary told them. Verse 12, they did not believe when the other disciples who were on the road to Emmaus told them. And verse 14, Jesus rebukes them because they did not believe. I remember uh, the first time uh, I was challenged with the challenge of belief. I was in a fifth grade Sunday school at a church near you, and I was sitting there, and my uh, Sunday school teacher was doing a, a whole lesson on belief. A volunteer, lay person just like you, and she was sharing with us little fifth grade rugrats about how uh, believing takes uh, this act of uh, belief with our heads, but also with our whole bodies. And one of my classmates raised his hand and he said, I don't know. I think it's kind of hard to believe in a God you can't see, touch, or hear. And another classmate said, well, I think it would be a lot easier to believe if I was living at the same time that Jesus was alive. And my Sunday school teacher kind of perked up. And she said, oh, really? Well, did you notice in the Gospels that even the people that were living with Jesus had a hard time believing too? I mean, think about that rich young ruler who was trying to be faithful and do all the right things. And then when Jesus said, all you have to do is sell all your possessions and follow me. And he walked off in a huff. And then she said, and what about those people that were gathered on that first Good Friday? The people that probably in Jerusalem would have easily had a chance to hear Jesus' teaching and certainly probably would have been able to see Jesus' miracles. And they were the ones that were yelling, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. It was the first time that I was confronted with the challenge of belief. It can be costly and it can be difficult to believe in Jesus, even if you lived when Jesus was alive and walking on this earth. Belief in the resurrection of Jesus is eerily challenging, especially in an increasingly secular society, as Christian pointed out for us last week. Claiming faith can be costly. It can be challenging. 
Which is why I'm so grateful uh, with, as Pastor Ross said just a moment ago, that we have people that are standing up in front of you this morning as new members saying, I believe in Jesus, even someone that has never said that publicly before. And interestingly, in Mark's gospel, and maybe most eerie of all in this section, is that Jesus rebukes the disciples, he upbraids them in the NRSV for their lack of faith. Jesus isn't patient in this passage. Instead, he openly challenges them for their unbelief. It's almost as if those he knows best, he challenges the most. What if a part of going Godward is acknowledging the challenge of faith and opening ourselves to the rebuke of Jesus like his first disciples? What do you think Jesus would rebuke about the church today? Or maybe more personally, What about your life would Jesus rebuke? Maybe he would rebuke our yearning to identify with the powerful and mighty instead of the weak and vulnerable. Maybe he would rebuke our ambivalence uh, towards his teaching and his leading, especially in how it relates to how we relate with one another and how we disagree with one another. Maybe Jesus would rebuke our struggle for security in the things of this world and our disregard for those that made it possible for us to experience that security. Maybe Jesus would rebuke our allegiance to the rulers of this world and our endorsement of them, even when they oppose the way of Christ. The resurrection is eerie in Mark's gospel because belief in Jesus is difficult and challenging, and it opens us up to being rebuked by Jesus. But lastly, and maybe most importantly, the resurrection in Mark's gospel is eerie because Jesus' rebuke ends with a commission. Did you catch that? Strange, isn't it? That the same disciples that Jesus just rebuked for lack of faith, the same people who question him and he questions back, the same people who don't believe, who are certainly not rock-solid theologians, those same skeptical disciples are the ones that he bets the future of the church on. It's strange, isn't it, that the church is filled with these split personalities? Those with skeptical beliefs are the primary vehicle in which Christ uses to share the good news of his resurrection. And it's not just strange, it's kind of scary too, isn't it? That God's plan for this world is being carried out by commoners? Unbelieving at times, disciples like you and me? The good news of the eerie resurrection is that God uses broken vessels, marginal disciples like you and me to carry out his mission purposes. Most interesting about this passage, though, is in its practice of faith. Disciples' acts of faith It is in the disciples' acts of faith that the Lord confirms their message. We can and we should get a little caught off guard by some of the acts of faith described in these verses, especially with regards to drinking of poisonous things and the handling of snakes. Don't do that. Bad advice. But the point the author is trying to make, I think, whoever that author might be, is that it is through our acts of faith that our belief is actually confirmed. Our Faith grows when we practice it. Have you guys ever been to the Grand Canyon? It is an eerie and awe-inspiring place. But what about that Skywalk Bridge? Has anybody ever been on the Skywalk Bridge? Supposedly it stands 4,000 feet above the Grand Canyon. You know that if you are to fall off, you are certainly going to die. It's eerie down there. It's a glass bridge that suspends over the canyon. What if you were the first person to ever step foot on that bridge? What if you were selected for a free walk on the glass bridge if you were, would be the tester, the person that went out there for the first time to make sure it worked well? You don't know for sure if the bridge will work, if it will hold, but you have to make a choice. Will I take a step out or will I stay on the sidelines? What if practicing the resurrection is like taking that, uh, that step? 
taking that step and then inviting others along with. Which is a way of saying that the anecdote to unbelief is not better beliefs, but practicing our faith. When we give generously, when we share courageously, when we pursue humility, when we practice sacrificial living, when we are overwhelmed with awe and love for our God, that is when the resurrection of Jesus, the eerie resurrection of Jesus, is confirmed in us. The news of the resurrection was certainly eerie in Mark's gospel, but it's also an invitation for us to go Godward by reflecting on the primary sources of our lives, by opening ourselves up to the rebuke of Jesus, and by practicing our faith even amidst our unbelief. As strange and as scary as it may be, I pray that we might be the kind of people, the kind of community that steps into faith, in Jesus Christ, the resurrected one, even though it might be eerie. Let's pray. Oh God, we know that believing in you can be challenging, eerie even, especially amidst so many other subtle and convincing truths we hear. Help us to be honest with ourselves and with you about the challenge of belief so that the Holy Spirit might give us the courage to step out in the acts of faith, the help to confirm the good news of your resurrection. Thank you for your grace when we falter and for your relentless pursuit of us, even amidst our unbelief. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Friends, in our response this morning, how is the Holy Spirit speaking to your heart? I invite you to stand and let's respond in singing, raise a hallelujah.
Resurrection news is eerie. And as you go out into this world trying to practice faith, may you be filled. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forever. And all God's people said, go in peace.